Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Well, hey there, church. My name is Dave, and it's so good to be with you this morning. I have the joy of serving on staff here at Upper Room, and whether you're with us for the first time or you're with us for the hundredth time, we're really glad that you're with us here today. This past week, Sandra, my wife, and I attended her grandmother's funeral out in Napanee, Ontario. So if I'm sure you can imagine it's been a bit of a tough week for us. Actually, it's been a a bit of a sad couple of weeks for us, to be honest with you. And funerals in general, let alone the funeral of a loved one, tend to lead us into experiencing like an overwhelming uh, variety of emotions. I mean, for us in particular, there was a sense of great sadness, right? Somebody that you love, somebody that you have so many memories with, there was a sense of great loss. And so we had sadness in that she had passed away. At the same time, there was a sense of celebration. She's, she's a follower of Jesus. Uh, she had lived a, a relatively long life. Uh, she had made a pretty tremendous impact on the lives of people around her while she was around. And so there was also a celebration, right? And then you almost have like, you feel the mix of these two emotions at the same time. And it's a little strange. There was even a, a bit of a sense of relief. Now, don't get me wrong when I say that. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just trying to say that she had suffered quite a bit in the last little while of her life. And so knowing now that she has gone on to peace, knowing that she's at rest, knowing that she, she passed away uh, in peace without any pain, uh, there is a sense of relief that comes from that. And so with the passing of any person, there is these different things that we feel. Maybe, maybe you've lost somebody that's near and dear to you, and maybe you felt things like maybe crisis, You know, a sense of concern or uh, maybe you've had a sense of anger, like the injustice, depending on the circumstance of why they passed, whether it being an accident or very young or something of that sort. All of these things, uh, we experience them when it comes to reflecting on the life of a person, because I think that with all of the uncertainty that we do have in life, there is one thing that is for certain, and that is whether we like it or not, there is the inevitability of death. In our culture around us, how many, how many messages do we hear about living our best life now, right? Or living life to the fullest, or don't worry, be happy, or, or whatever it may. Do one thing that scares you every day, whatever these things might be. And I get it. There may be some encouragement in these ideas. There may be some things that actually inspire us, um, you know, to live differently. But I think still something that we're stuck with is asking this question is whether or not the way we live now has anything to do with the way we might experience something later. And really, even if we take all of these pieces of advice, live your best life now, don't worry, be happy. Even if we do figure out how to live differently now, there is still the certainty of death. And, and when we're faced with the passing of a loved one, uh, it's almost like all of a sudden we have this uh, increased awareness of the frailty of our own lives. And there's a sense of mystery and a sense of wonder, actually, that comes with with death. And it raises big questions in our own lives. Uh, Perhaps for you, there's a question of, well, what happens after you die? Where do you go or what what do you experience in that point? And, And those are good questions that are worth digging into. But I think it actually raises a question for those of us that are reflecting on death. That is, those of us that are still alive here and now. And that is wondering whether or not there is a connection between the way we live now and what happens after we die or what is experienced when we die. Sanders' grandmother, as I mentioned already, was a Christian woman 
And so like most Christian funerals, if you've ever been to one, there was um, an emphasis on her being in heaven, her being in the presence of Jesus, her being free from the challenges and the suffering that she experienced here on earth. And and even though there was talk about that, uh, there was more of a focus, I would say, in the entire service on the type of life that she lived. So with the various eulogies and with the sermon that was shared, each person shared about and talked about the compassion that her grandmother had for others, but her kindness. Uh, about her faith and how it was the foundation of her entire life, uh, her sense of humor, you know, the kind of loving mother that she was, the gifts of hospitality that she would regularly bless other people with. Uh, there was lots of emphasis on, on how famous she was for the pies that she used to bake. And I think the pies were actually an expression of her hospitality and her wanting to bless other people. At the funeral, I was asked to read two passages of scripture and to um, close the service with the pastoral prayer. And, And as I was praying, of course, I'm feeling this mixture of emotions. I'm seeing a whole family and group of friends and community that are there remembering and celebrating yet mourning all at the same time. And as I was praying, I was prompted by the Spirit to include that there were likely some in the room that didn't know what to believe or what to think about what happens after death. That perhaps there are some in the room that don't necessarily believe in heaven or that there is anything after death. There's a couple of reasons for this. One of the reasons was because I knew some of the people in the room and I know that some of their own perspectives or worldviews or beliefs wouldn't necessarily align with their grandmother uh, that had passed on. And so I just felt that there could be that tension in the room. But also, and this interestingly enough, I had just recently had a very lengthy conversation with my barber about this very subject, about life and death and what happens when we die. And I know that sounds strange, but I spend, you know, about an hour a month or so with my barber and we end up having these great conversations. It just so happens that his his grandmother, or sorry, excuse me, his girlfriend's grandmother had recently passed away. And since that had taken place, he'd basically spent all of his time, all of his free time, reading into uh, various worldviews, various world religions, various scientific approaches to what happens to the body, what happens to the spirit after the time of death. And how he's kind of into sciencey stuff, he's kind of into paranormal activity, he's got a variety of views, many of which we wouldn't necessarily agree on, but there was one thing that we did agree on, and we talked for length about it, and that was that there is definitely a connection between the life we're living right now and the life we live once we've died. Even that might sound like a bit of a strange statement, right? Typically we say, what is, uh, typically we use this phrase life after death. But when we rephrase it and say living a life, the type of life we'll live after we've died, it almost sounds weird. And if you're not having a spiritual conversation uh, with somebody, they might be like, where on earth are you coming from with all of this? But this was something that Junior, my barber, and I really got into. And it's actually something that's caused me great reflection as we've been working through this series together in Philippians. There's this big question at play here, and that is whether or not the way we live our life, the things we experience right now, whether or not there is any connection to what life might be like later. And all throughout our time in the book of Philippians, I'm not sure if you've noticed it just yet, but the Apostle Paul, the writer here, has been floating out and using this language that actually leans into this tension that we may feel in this mystery around the connection between life and death, what happens afterwards. And so if you've been 
been with us for the past five weeks, then you'll know that not just on Sunday mornings, but on our website, through our blog, uh, whether you've been watching video or getting it through our audio podcast, doing the reading uh, plan together, the community reading plan together. If you've been with us, then you know that we've been spending the entirety of the last five weeks in the New Testament letter to the Philippians. And, and this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young church. And as he's writing to them, he's instructing them, he's telling them about his story, he's encouraging them, and he's helping them to understand their own identity and their own purpose. And one of the things he does throughout this entire letter is he repeatedly talks about that our experience or our existence right now is not disconnected from anything else, but it actually has an eternal and heavenward perspective. There is a connection between this life and the next, and Paul talks about this in a variety of ways. See, we've been learning together that Jesus, in his love, actually unites us with himself, and that as he's united him with himself and we continue following after him, he begins to unite us with other people. And Paul is telling his own story about his own union with Jesus and then talking about his church and reminding of their union with Jesus. And as he does this, he's providing for them a framework how their life ought to look. And really, it's speaking to us as well. And this thread that Paul begins to use that kind of ties the entire letter together is that living for Jesus isn't just about waiting for heaven, but rather it's about partnering with Jesus in bringing a taste of heaven to earth right now. And this is what I want to talk about for our time together today. What we are experiencing right now, the life we're living right now, is all to be viewed, all to be lived, all to be seen within this perspective of a heaven, all within this eternal perspective. And so this means that our current situations, this means the decisions we make right now, this means that the things we say, the things that we do, the things that we don't say, the things that we don't do, everything in this life is loaded with meaning and loaded with purpose. And it's not just about right here, right now. It's absolutely tied in together with what we're hoping for later. And Paul says, again, these things that help us connect the dots between what we have now and what we might hope in later. And for example, in chapter 3, which was read for us just a few moments ago, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on one point you think differently, that that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. We, we could talk all day about, about heaven, right? There are descriptions and pictures and vivid imagery that scripture provides us with. And yet today I want to keep it relatively simple and use a definition that looks like this. Heaven is the uninterrupted and full presence of Jesus and his purposes. Full and uninterrupted connection to Jesus and the full experiences of everything that he of everything that he has to offer and everything that he gives us. And so we can look at it and say heaven is this place where there is a restoration and a complete wholeness. We are brought back. We are restored back to the people we were actually made to be. Uh, we would say that in the presence of Jesus, we find perfect peace and perfect rest. And there may be all sorts of uncertainty, all types of chaos in our own lives. No matter what storm we're in the middle of, though, when we trust in Jesus and see the way that he is serving us, making himself available to us, we are able to say that everything is crazy, but Jesus is the only strong point, the only foundation I truly have in my life. And this leads us to having total joy. 
The uninterrupted and full presence of Jesus is complete and total joy, knowing that there's nothing that we lack, nothing we could ever want. There's nothing that could ever go wrong to us because we are fully kept, fully protected by Jesus, and we are made whole. We are made to be complete people. We, uh, all of the areas of brokenness in our own lives, the areas of brokenness in relationship with others, all of the things that are out of sync that we just feel we'll never get away from, those things are actualized and we begin to be put back together. This is what it is to have uninterrupted and full presence with Jesus. And so this is what we long for in a sense. And this is what is promised to those of us who are in faith. But Paul says this interesting thing. He says that these are things we've already attained. These are things that are already, have already been given to us. These are things that we've already received. Those of us who are united with Jesus already have the forgiveness of sins. We already have full restored access to God through Jesus. The things that were broken, we now have access to those things back. We have a new spirit that is doing a transforming work in us, in our character, making us more and more like Jesus, who we want to be like. We are already in the process of being restored back to wholeness and completeness. <coughs> Excuse me, I've had this tickle in my throat all week and I can't seem to kick it. And so, even though we may be united with Jesus, even though we're understanding the way that we're being united with one another, even though we already have access to the uninterrupted and full presence of Jesus and His purposes, it doesn't always feel like that's true to us, does it? Even for those of us that are walking with Jesus, that are following Him, that are allowing Him to lead our lives, we still experience all types of struggles and sufferings that may lead us to get to the end of our day and say that it felt a lot more like hell than it did like heaven. And what this is, this is the tension of the now and not yet at play. And this is what Paul is putting his finger on. This is what he's drawing our attention to. What we are experiencing now, what we are going through right now, is not the way it will always be. It, but, but it's still directly tied into what we're going to experience later. But this doesn't mean, though, that we just simply wait for heaven. We wait for the day that it'll be achieved in fullness and want to just escape and get there. Instead, we look for the ways that Jesus is already bringing them into our lives now. You see, what Paul is saying to us is that in light of being made one with Jesus, we understand that our identity and our purposes in life are all wrapped up in the direction we're headed. And so what we do is we decidedly choose not to wait a moment of this life just waiting for heaven, but instead we begin engaging the world around us for the sake of bringing a taste of heaven into earth here and now. And Paul modeled this in his own life. Earlier on, in the letter, uh, Paul, talking about himself, says this, For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is essentially Paul's MO. Everything he does is rooted in this understanding. If you were on social media, this is the little biographical blurb that would come before every selfie that he took, that would follow along, um, that would come ahead of every tightly worded quip that he has. This is his statement of identity and purpose. To live is Christ, to die is gain. This is essentially Paul's MO, right? If he were on social media, this would be the little biographical blurb that came before each of his selfies, uh, if he, you know, before each of his little tightly worded quips. This is the very thing that Paul is. This is his identity and this is his purpose, all wrapped together in one simple phrase. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now remember, 
Paul is in prison when he was saying this, when he wrote this. Uh, and he didn't know what was going to become of his life, right? Like his situation was grim. He didn't know if he would be killed in jail. He didn't know if he'd contract some illness. He didn't know if he'd be beaten up uh, in the middle of the night or robbed by some other prisoner that was in there and the people that he was in close quarters with. And, and ultimately, he was in prison because of his persistence in preaching about Jesus and doing the work of God even after he had been repeatedly told not to. Paul's perspective on life was this idea of a heavenward trajectory and understanding that his whole life was meant to be lived for Jesus because his whole life was given to him by Jesus. I mean, I mean look at this. To, to get a better understanding of, of where Paul was at, for him to understand his identity in this way, his purpose in this way, this essentially makes him untouchable, right? He, he was put in prison for preaching. He goes into prison. He, he, gets, he, he, he preaches to other people there. He's warned against, stop this or your situation will get worse. But instead of complaining about being in prison, he actually worships and says, thank you, God, for calling me. Thank you for using me. Thank you for giving me an opportunity even here. While he's in there, he tells other people more about Jesus. Why? Because for him, to live is Christ. His life is Christ fully lived out in submission to Jesus, lived for the purposes of Jesus. Now imagine the banter that, or the discussion that could have gone back and forth between Paul and any of the guards or any of the, of any of the authorities, right? They would say, Paul, if you don't stop telling people about Jesus, we're going to kill you. Okay, well, Paul would respond, well, then I'll get to be in the presence of Jesus fully and completely, which is my utmost desire, because to die is gain for me. Oh, wait, you mean for... If, if we kill you, if you die, that's actually better for you? That's actually what you're going to, that's actually what you want? Uh, yeah, because for me, to die is gain. Okay, then we'll keep you alive. We're not going to give you what you want. If you say if you die, you get to go be with your God, we're going to keep you alive. That's great too, because as long as I'm alive, to live is Christ, to die is gain, and I'm just going to keep doing the things that Jesus has called me to do. And by the way, have you actually heard about Jesus before? See, Paul's perspective on life was that if he lives, he gets Jesus, and he gets to bring more of Jesus into the ways of, in, more of Jesus' ways into the world. But if he dies, he gets all of Jesus. So this is a win-win situation for him. His life was so deeply saturated by his understanding of who he is in light of his heavenward direction that there was this total overlap between everything that he did. See, Paul had no escapism or escapist view of heaven, right? This idea where we just want to hit the ejector seat. This world is so broken. This world is so messed up. I just want to get away from it and go to heaven. Paul didn't have any of that because if he did have like an escapist mentality, why wouldn't he just allow the guards to kill him? Because then he would have gained, right? He would have gone to be in the presence of Jesus. Well, that's not the reason he didn't do that is because that wasn't his outlook on life. He knew he trusted and he believed that Jesus one day will give him the fullness of his presence. And yet it was the longing for, for or yet it was um, the, the, the hope and the promise that Jesus would give him all of that one day that actually drove him deeper and deeper into mission right here and right now. See, he understands that heaven is not just something for him, but there's actually a way that he can bring a taste of heaven to others in the meantime. He says it this way. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens is, when any one of us receives Jesus as our Savior, when we, when we, when we, are, um, when we 
when he when we follow him, when we we uh, receive his forgiveness, when we receive his grace, um, he rescues us from sin. He rescues us from death. He rescues us from ourselves, really, and the destruction that we bring into our own lives. And and the very moment that we begin following Jesus and, and receive the life that he gives, in that very moment, Paul is saying, your spiritual passport is changed. Instantly, it now says that you are no longer a citizen of this place, but you are primarily a citizen of heaven itself. And and here's what that means. When any one of us follows Jesus in faith, understanding that he has given us new life, we believe and we live like our life is not our own because it's not our own. It's a life that has been given to us from Jesus. We're given a new identity. Which means we don't have to worry about making a name for ourselves because God, who has called us, has given us a name. He has called us His children. When we're living as citizens of heaven, we no longer have to compare ourselves to all the things that the world says are valuable. Things like wealth and and power and and, and influence and status. None of those things are, are important to us anymore because as we grow in our understanding in our faith, as we continue to experience that transform, transformative power that the Spirit of God puts in play in our lives, we begin to see that we don't have to compare ourselves to anyone else because the most valuable one or the most important one says we're more valuable than anything else. As citizens of heaven living in this place, we live by a different set of customs and ethics, which means we can pursue justice and fairness. We can love radically. We can show sacrificial compassion because these are the things that Jesus has shown to us. We are now able to live it out ourselves and bring it into the world. All of this comes as a result of understanding who we are And that we are now already living in this uninterrupted and unblocked relationship with King Jesus himself. See, there's nothing in between us that could separate. There's nothing left. There's nothing blocking us from accessing God anymore. And there's nothing that could ever be put in there to block that access from him. And Paul is saying, you already have those things. And no, you don't have it fully and completely yet. But sometimes it feels like you do. But even when you don't, you're already in it. It's all happening now and it's not yet. And this is actually the point. See, even though inevitably each one of us will die physically and our life as we know it on earth will come to an end, we will continue on to heaven and experience all of the things in total wholeness and total completeness one day. But in the meantime, we don't simply wait for that to happen because as we are like as I, because as I've said, we already have access to it. And because of our oneness with Jesus and the oneness with one another, we actually want to bring a taste of it into the world around us. And so we're called citizens of heaven now. And even though we're not there yet, we're still here. That's actually the whole point. And it's this identity, it's this truth that is meant to uh, drive us on mission in partnering with Jesus. One writer well-known New Testament scholar named M.T. Wright says, As we faithfully long for the future hope of the perfect new heavens and new earth, we actively pursue and hope for a better world right now. And so a day will come when Jesus will reign perfectly over all creation, establishing a new heaven and a new earth once and for all. But until then, our heavenward direction is where we are to find our purpose in all that we do right now. This means that we, we take every opportunity we have to, to love and care for the sick, to provide for the poor and the needy, to be a friend to the one that's lonely, to welcome the refugee, to protect and defend those who are victims, those who are abused. 
We find all sorts of ways to actively and creatively and passionately tell others about who Jesus is, about the things that he's done for us. And we actually invite them as well into the journey of following him and receiving the new life that he's given us, telling them that they can receive it as well. It means as citizens of heaven, as we're longing for this heaven, we're bringing it into play. What we're doing is we're responding with grace and mercy in every situation, even when we are the victim, even when we're the one who's been treated unfairly. We forgive and we accept even when we've been wronged. We are to act ethically and fairly in every situation, even when it costs us, especially when it costs us. Because we know that even though we may be cost something right now, or we may have to lose something right now, it's nothing in comparison to the fullness of all the riches and glory that will be offered to us in Jesus himself. We do this. We can live this way because we are citizens of heaven. And our belief, our hope, our pursuit is that as we live this life the way that Jesus is enabling us to live, others will come to see a little bit of what he's like as they watch us and as we interact with them. And I get it. Like this can sound like a lot of pressure. This can feel like it's all eyes on us and I represent Jesus and I'm an ambassador and a representative and a citizen. And if I, I, like we might be saying, this is a lot of pressure. I'm not always acting perfect. My life is not all put together. If people look at me thinking they're getting a picture of Jesus, that's going to be a little bit messed up. And I kind of get that. For starters, one thing I want to say is just like err on the side of grace and love and understand that we're not as far along as we want to be yet. Paul himself understands that, understands that we're still in process. He says, live out of what you've already attained, knowing that there still is a transformative work going on in you. And so don't beat yourself up or don't hide away and think like, oh, I could never do this. Instead, have some grace. See who you are and how far you've come, how far he's brought you. And watch the things that he'll do. Because he keeps doing this transformative work in us and to us, but he also does it through us. There's a few stories I want to share with you, actually about the way that this has played out in, in the lives of some people that I know. And, and I consider myself greatly blessed uh, to be in relationship with people who um, I just admire so much, people who are following after Jesus, who are figuring out how to live on mission, this whole living as a citizen of heaven right here, right now. And, and so I'll share a couple stories with you, a couple of instances with you. One of them is uh, actually a conversation we had with a relative of Sandra's uh, at the funeral this past week. Uh, he, he grew up actually living in, in Woodbridge, not far from here, but eventually moved to Kingston. And uh, he had grown up uh, as a Christian, been raised as a Christian. And so when he moved into Kingston, he and his wife uh, began attending a church there. And, and they decided that they wanted to begin in, impacting or begin reaching out to the people that lived around them. Uh, so what they did is they began inviting their neighbors to church. And he said that nobody ever came. Nobody wanted to come. They got a lot of no's. And so they didn't let that beat them up too bad. They kept this heavenly mindset or this citizen of heaven kind of mindset on on themselves. And they said, well, it's not just about getting people into the church. It's about bringing the presence of Jesus into their lives. And so they began inviting people over to their house for meals, for coffee, for parties. And as people came over, they had their Christian music on. They regularly shared about their life and the, the things that were going on in their uh, things that were happening in their lives because of their faith, the way that their faith was impacting them. I think he said that they even prayed for some of their neighbors from time to time. And, and then he says, over the years now, they've been able to see five or six people come to faith in Jesus and begin following Jesus, all because of the ways that they just modeled a life of pursuing Jesus together. 
share with you about another friend. Um, his name's Matthew. Uh, love this guy to bits. We had sushi together this past week, and he's like one of those friends. Like, I, like if it was 2002, like he would be in my top five circle of friends on my cell phone plan. That's how how much I love this guy and how close we are. He, for a number of years in his career, was working out in the secular world, uh, working for a school, doing communications, and uh, again, grew up raised as a Christian and got to this point in his life where he says he wanted to use his gifts in communication, think like web development, think like video, think like print media, all that kind of stuff. He said, I want to use my gifts and my success. I actually want to use it in a church setting to help push the mission of God forward as he propelled the church's mission and vision forward. So he began working at a church. It was a big church, huge church actually. And while he was working there, um, he helped that church really clearly explain and express all of the things that they wanted to be. And he felt, yes, I'm now doing what God is really wanting me to do because I'm able to push this stuff forward. But after a couple years, he began to sense God calling him to actually step away from working in the church and to start his own business his own consulting and design business. And there's a lot of fear that comes with this. Any one of you who've ever started or run your own business, you probably understand this. Any of you who've done anything entrepreneurial know the risks that are involved, especially in his case. He'd be stepping away from a salary. He'd be stepping away from vacation time, stepping away from benefits, all of those kinds of things. And yet he had this sense that God was calling him to go independent, to step away from it all. So over the course of time, he prayed, he talked things through with his wife. He finally made the decision that if he was going to go, he was going to need to make X amount of money. He, he started doing his research. He figured out, you know, what would he be worth on an hourly rate? He put together some packages, depending on the type of projects he would do for people. And he came up with this number and said, okay, God, in order for me to go and, and do this independent thing, here's the amount of money I need in my salary. The amount of money I need to make to make ends meet. Prayed about this, told it to God. God said, actually, that's too much. I want you to lower that number. I want you to lower that number and I want you to still pursue what I'm calling you into and I want you to trust me. And so he heard from God and he went for it. As he began taking on clients and, and doing his work, uh, he began to realize that he was very quickly going to reach that number that God had given him. And so being a citizen of heaven, living for someone, living for a king instead of living for himself, living on behalf of Jesus, he began to say to his clients, hey, I don't actually need to charge you as much this time around because I'm already on a trajectory to make the amount of money that God has asked me and told me that I need to make. And I don't want to mistrust God or go above God. And I don't want to take advantage of you for the sake of my own greed or my own income. So actually I can lower your cost. And he is finding a way to live by this number that God had given him. I think this is an amazing thing. I mean, it's amazing to have somebody who's so closely connected to God that they can hear things like that. But also, he's literally telling these things to his clients, who, by the way, are not all Christian or churches or whatever. There are all sorts of people. People will say to him regularly, how do you get such great creative ideas for these campaigns or, or for this rebrand or whatever? And he says, well, you know, I pray for all of my clients. I pray for the organizations. I've been praying for you and God blesses me with creativity and he leads me into it. Like, I mean, there's something about that that almost sounds like it's not from this world and that's actually the point. When you're living as a citizen of heaven, you're so convinced about the realities that Jesus has offered you and that you're going to have access to later that you live knowing that they're actually true for you right here and right now. I got one more story from one more friend, but I can't even get into all the details because it's so real, like it's in the moment right now. 
But I'll tell you a little bit about it because I think it's, it's super excited. It involves someone who has been in ministry for all of their adult life for uh, more than 20 years. Uh, they've been serving as a pastor in various capacities at, at various churches. And uh, about a, two years ago, began to hear and sense from God this call that it was time for them to step out of church ministry to begin bringing the presence of Jesus into the lives of people who are not already connected to to, to God already, uh, going into a totally secular, out-in-the-world kind of a job. And, and uh, d- just so there's no confusion or any suspicion, it's nobody here on our staff at, at Upper Room. It's, it's somebody else altogether, okay? Now, what I think is amazing about this is we often celebrate uh, when someone leaves the secular industry or leaves the, world, the workforce to come into full-time vocational ministry, whether it be working in a church or whether it be working as an international worker, uh, you know, going overseas as a missionary, whatever it may be. And we absolutely should be amazed by this stuff. This is actually the story for Vijay. Vijay was working in business. God called him into the church. This was the story for Melissa. She was working in business. God called her into the church. This is the story for our international workers doing all sorts of various jobs, being called to leave that for the sake of being citizens of heaven and bringing it all into the, uh, bringing the presence of God into the lives of everyone that they meet with. And, And so I think this is an exciting thing. Don't get me wrong on that. But I do think as well, there's something equally as encouraging and equally as exciting as someone who gets a vision from God to bring the things of heaven into earth that others might get a taste of what Jesus is like to the point where they're actually able or or willing to step away from being a pastor to go and find a new way to do this in their job and really in their lives in general. And I am just so overwhelmed again by the stories that I've been able to share in in my own life. Uh, I know that there are stories like this in our own church. And just to, I mean, this might come as a newsflash to you, but honestly, as a staff and leadership here at the church, we pray often that God would raise up workers from within our congregation, that he would put a call on your life to show you that there is something new for you that may lead, may require you to step away from a job or a situation that you're in already. But we also pray that whether or not he calls you into a new job or career or whatever, that he would regularly be revealing to you the ways that you are to be a citizen of heaven right here, right now, attain, having attained all of the things of heaven, not having them all just yet, but feeling that tension and yet not wanting to just keep it to ourselves, but bring it into the world around us. So what do we do about this? It's a bunch of things. And, and to be honest, I've heard from many of you that a lot of, a number of you are doing different things to engage people in your communities around you. But there is one thing in particular that I want to invite you to consider. We've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks and it's Alpha. As a church, we have seen God do tremendous things through Alpha. Alpha is a multi-week discussion-based gathering that allows people to come together in small groups and ask all sorts of questions about faith. We've seen people come to faith in Jesus. We've seen people begin attending our church through this program. As a matter of fact, part of this sermon was actually spurred on by a conversation I had with my barber about these spiritual kind of things that are out there. And so these conversations do happen all the time. And we're not doing this until the fall. Uh, Sometime beginning end of September and October, we're going to be launching and doing Alpha in three places, one in King City, one in Vaughan, one in Bolton, which means there's going to be a very close proximity to the places where you already live. And the reason we're doing it at the end of the summer and into the regular rhythm of the school year, if you will, 
is because we want all of us to be using this time throughout the summer to build relationships with people. To not just, you know, randomly wait until we get there and invite somebody out of the blue, but to actually start having the conversations so that when we do invite someone to come to Alpha, they've already been primed and we already have a relational connection to them. And so this means for you, as a citizen of heaven, maybe one of the things you're asking and praying to God for in the coming weeks over the rest of this summer is, Lord, put on my heart the creativity and the passion to begin connecting with people around me. And then begin praying for one individual or multiple individuals who you might like to invite to come with you into Alpha when the fall comes. Maybe you're in a situation where you're actually the one seeking Jesus. You're, you're here uh, you know, in, the, in the church today for the first time or only been around a few times and you've still got lots and lots of questions about Jesus and spiritual things. This is the place for you. And for you, maybe it's just a matter of signing up and being a part of it. We're not doing it into the fall, so there's still some time. And it's not just about waiting for us as a church to tell you what to do. There is this sense of getting before God and saying, help me be the citizen of heaven that I am already. So church, my hope and my prayer is that you would catch this vision to live in light of eternity. To understand that, yes, as we mature in Jesus, He is making us one with Himself and one with, uh, one with each other. That He is uniting a church around Him. That, that, that we are people that understand our, heaven, our heavenward direction is not just something that's going to happen later, but it's something we're already living with now. That we would be people who aren't simply waiting for heaven, that we'd get there one day, but we actually want to see it made real here. And I know that all this might seem daunting. The mission of God can seem daunting. You know, that, um, you know that, that all of us would be united. That seems like a big thing. That we would be made one with the creator of the universe. That seems like a big deal. It seems like the mission even of our church or this call to be citizens of heaven um, is so much bigger than our own abilities. Like that it's so much bigger than our own vision. It's so much bigger than anything we could ever do on our own. And, and it feels that way because it is that way. We can't do any of this stuff on our own. And yet we were never called to do any of this on our own. We were never meant to try and live our lives by ourselves. We were always to do it with God being our strength and being our source of life, our source of power. Uh, we were never meant to do this on our own in the sense that we can just live with God and no one else. Actually, He gave us others to be in relationship with, that we might figure out how to do all this in community. It is too big for us to do on our own, but we were never meant to. We partner with Him in bringing His mission, His kingdom into earth. And we also do it alongside others, the gift of the church that has been given to us. A wide diversity of different people coming together, united with Jesus, united with each other, diving deep into the calling of bringing the mission and the purposes of God into this world right now. That is what our hope and our prayer is for our entire church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that even maybe with a bit of a different perspective now, yes, understanding and believing that you are in the heavenlies for sure, but knowing that you didn't count that as something to reserve yourself or preserve yourself from us, but instead you sent Jesus from heaven to earth to show us a taste, to give us a taste of what you're like. And by calling us into relationship with you, by giving us new life, by giving us the gifts of grace and mercy and forgiveness, we are now able to follow you and partner with you in helping others in this broken world get a taste of what heaven is like. And so, Father, I do pray that you would help us, that you would unite us, that you would show us the things you've done to unite us with, yourselves, with yourself, 
And I pray too, Jesus, that you would give us all sorts of creativity and courage and faith to live out our citizenship in heaven, even while we're still here on earth. Lord, our prayer is that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that one of the ways you work that out is by using us in the relationships that we have with people. So Father, help us in this. We want to do it not just for our sake, not just for our brand as a church. We want to do this because we want you to be made known, Jesus. We want lives to be changed by you. And we know and we trust that you are calling us into a beautiful relationship with you and that you are going to do amazing things. All of it, Jesus, for your sake, we pray. Amen.